Welcome to the FPC Thomasville podcast. We believe human life has a designer, so learning to live by design will help you thrive within all your spheres of influence. Today, Reverend Skylar Adams will share a message titled Unwavering Hope as part of our Hope on the Horizon sermon series. The scripture passage for today is 2 Corinthians 4, 7-18, which will help us answer the question, how do we share hope? years out of college, I was looking for community, and I found myself uh, pursuing my third level as a master mason. I, uh, not too long after I had started the process of becoming a master mason, I got a letter from one of my uncles. I have four uncles, and they have largely filled the role of, of a grandfather figure in my life, and this one in particular sent me a note. He, was a, he is a Vietnam veteran, a follower of Jesus, and a business owner, and he was pouring his heart out to me, um, desiring that I would see that, that what I was pursuing um, with, with masonry was, was incompatible uh, with, with the message of Christ. I'm sure as a larger organization they wouldn't say this, but the, the chapter that I was involved with was, was in some ways seeking to be the church, providing community for men searching for it, perhaps in the wrong place. And he was reminding me that the way that they had uh, conflated values of Freemasonry uh, with that of the message of Christ is undermining the true message that Jesus uh, came to speak. Well, in a similar way and in a more profound way, the Apostle Paul is pouring himself out to these Christians in Corinth, begging them to see that the, the values that have permeated their church are incompatible with the message of Jesus. They're, they're at a contradiction with one another. And so as he hears messages from uh, Timothy that they are beginning to reject him as an apostle and a message that he came to bring, he sends this letter opening his heart for them so that they might return to the true gospel of Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, will you grab them? Um, turn with me to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 7 and read uh, through verse, verse 18. Hear God's word. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Verse 13, Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what was written, I believed, and so I spoke. We also believe, and so we also speak, knowing that He who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into His presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. 
For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Let's pray. Father, help us to see you as your jars of clay, your being at work in our lives, in this community, and around the world. Lift us up. Send us out in ways that we can continue to love you and our neighbors well. By your Spirit, speak to us through your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I mentioned, the, the people that, that had come into the church at Corinth had begun to undermine the message that, that Paul and, and Timothy had originally uh, based their church planning effort on there in Corinth. You see, they, they were ashamed of Paul. He was suffering. He, he wasn't that eloquent of a speaker. He rejected their patronage. He, seemed, he tended to connect himself with those in lower classes. And they, were not, <laughs> they didn't approve of this. And so they, as they had other preachers and teachers coming in, they, they began to have a message to circulate that to follow Jesus is to sort of blend our culture that values and sees success in an entirely different light with that of the message of Jesus. They were unimpressed with Paul. And as these more impressive apostles that he would later refer to as the super apostles, they are able to speak more better. They are able to speak better, just like I am not able to at the moment. But they are able to speak well, and they, they look good. And, and for all the practical and pragmatic reasons, they seem to be the ones carrying the true message of Jesus. But see, this is what happens. When 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 the message of Jesus doesn't enculturate in a community, but the, the cultures of that community try to, to dismantle the message of Jesus, our hope is futile. It, it depends on our ability uh, to, to come up with it. It relies on our values and the institutions that they create to give us the hope that we long for. Maybe you saw the, the comic strip uh, that Schultz produced in, in the mid-80s uh, and Charlie Brown, he, he goes to the, the baseball mound and he looks up at the sky and he says, I hope it doesn't rain. And of course the rain comes and he finishes the comic by saying, I don't even hope good. You see, when Christianity is the salt, the seasoning of your life, and not the true hope, the foundation of it, we're left with a shell. We're, we're left without a true ability to hope. So as we continue this series uh, today, hope on the horizon. We're going to look at the unwavering hope that God produces in our lives. And that's our point right here from verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. Why? To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. You see, the true hope that we want, the unwavering hope that we most long for, is only produced by God. It's not something that we come up with. So how do we do it? Or excuse me, how does God do it? First, he, he bends us. Second, He raises us. And finally, He renews us. First, He, he bends us. We see this, this image that, is, that uh, other than creating a fun mid-90s Christian rock band, um, presents a good picture, picture for the life that we have when we follow Jesus. We're, we're in this pliable container this jar of clay that, that Paul speaks of. And because it's a jar of clay, it's, it's intended to be bent. 
we see a series of, of passive participles that are sort of scrunched together that Paul, in, in, a, in a moment of rhetorical brilliance, connects um, one, one aspect of suffering with another. And it increases with severity. We see it, it, it goes from being afflicted uh, to finally in verse 9 being destroyed. In other words, where the super apostles, where the Christians there in Corinth were saying, Paul, you're not the guy. You don't have the true message, the message that we believe and want to have in our lives. He's saying, no, it is this message that you need. I don't know if you've been to a, a trash dump lately, but you know if, if you do discard of your, of your waste at one of those county public uh, receptacle sites, in the drum there's this you know, huge massive metal uh, thing. I don't even know what to call it, but at, once it gets to a, a, a filling point, it begins to compact, right? And you, all of a sudden you create this sort of trash box as it just scrunches everything up together. That was the picture that came to mind. We're not trash, of course. We're, we're jars of clay. But it is, it is through this, this pressure, Paul is saying, that he bends us to produce this hope. If you look back at verse 12, you, you see this. Paul proves it to us. He says, uh, the life in you, we can translate to say, the unwavering hope that you have is produced. How? Is at work in, also in that verse, through the bending or the death, as verse 12 puts us, puts it. You see, Paul and Timothy's suffering wasn't, uh, wasn't a means um, to, to, to find that their, their ministry was invalid. No, Paul is arguing uh, the suffering that he and I are enduring for you, church, authenticates that we carry the message, the true message of Christ. You see, jars of clay are designed to be bent. They're designed to be shaped. And when I was reading this, it made me ask the question, does that mean that God is in charge of the bending, the, the pain that we experience? And this is where the age-old uh, theological, philosophical argument comes in. Does God allow the suffering or does, does He cause the suffering? What's certainly true is that God is sovereign both in the means and the ends of our suffering. And you see, we actually want this. Even if it scares us a little bit at the beginning, it, it, it reminds us that God doesn't just wait for us to get a vaccine for COVID-19. He doesn't wait for us to, to sort of rally the troops and feel good about our resistance effort to it. No, He's involved in the meantime. He doesn't distance Himself in moments like these. In fact, He's found to be shaping, to be bending us as He does. You see, when He's in control of the means, He reveals to us our need. He cracks the pottery so that we can find our great need in Him. And this is where, church, hope is born. Always remember that if His hands are on you, that no one else can harm you. I don't know where you're at right now, but we're definitely being bent. Um, this, this virus, as it continues to spread, is is bringing about disappointment, anger, confusion, and all the rest in, in my heart, and, and I'm sure in yours as well. And my question for you is, will they be a place uh, we, where you are authenticated as being a true follower of God? Or will you do as I have attempted to do or I've done a few times uh, in the past couple of weeks, will you try to dismiss it? Numb yourself to the decay going on, the chaos happening, or will you seek to overcome you see, Paul and Timothy are finding in this pressure cooker of suffering the very witness to Christ. It authenticates their ministry. 
You see, we can have two responses. We can be religious people and, and who's all about appearances. And so uh, we, we sort of we put up these super spiritual fronts that, that are really just masquerades for, for a cheap piety. And, and I've even experienced this. I, I've sort of participated that in this week. I've noticed that the, the impulse is to create quickly, fast, solve right away the distance that we are sharing with one another through Zoom and, and every other uh, virtual platform. And it makes me want to ask the question, when do we become pros at being virtual ministers? You see, I think God wants to use this restless period to actually do the work of bending in our hearts. Instead of immediately solving, we, we rest beneath the potter's hands. So God produces hope, unwavering hope, through the bending efforts He has in our lives. Second, He raises us. Verse 13 through 17, we see um, where, where Paul is, is saying, look, I have an increased confidence after I've suffered. Why? Because I, I remember that, that Jesus was raised. That's where we're getting this point from the dead. And, and therefore, we will be raised as well. You see, he, he sees that, that after he's experienced the work of God in his life, there's a certain confidence to endure perpetual suffering, even as it ebbs and flows. Look at verse 13. It's kind of a strange thing. He says, I believed and so I spoke. He's quoting Psalm 16. And if I could just read a couple of verses. The psalmist says, I love the Lord because He has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy, because He inclined His ear to me. Therefore, I will call on Him as long as I live. Here's the point. In suffering, something beautiful happens. The big story of God's suffering begins to cover our small story of suffering. We begin to find that the the suffering story that we walk out fits like a puzzle piece within his larger, grander story of suffering. In other words, the, the big truths of God become beliefs in our heart. The movement from our head to our hearts begins to happen as we go through suffering. Do you see how hope, an unwavering hope, is then secured and made stronger as we go through this. And the proof is in verse 14. Jesus was resurrected from the dead after He had suffered. So literally, suffering is produced through, or excuse me, hope is produced through the suffering. One of the values that is swimming in our culture, uh, both Thomasville and the West, frankly, is, is that the life that, that, that we choose, the life of happiness, um, is, is the best life. And therefore, uh, suffering has no meaningful role. You know, and this is a far cry from the ancient worldviews that, that people have known for, for centuries. But this is, this is what we swim in, this belief that the good life is about me choosing happiness and avoiding all suffering. But see, we're told a very different story with the story, the big story of Christ's suffering. In, in Christianity, that suffering can drive you to the very love of God, the very stable hands of the potter. I invite you to that, especially as we lean into these uncertain times. Paul quotes the psalmist and said, I believed and so I speak. I, I want to say just a moment that, that Paul, this highly intellectual, uh, trained Jewish man, does something powerful in this passage. He exercises emotional honesty. Now, we can think of vulnerability as a, as a place uh, of weakness on the one hand, 
or we can see it as something that self-actualizes. That's often sort of the modern culture understanding of vulnerability. But what Paul models for us and invites us into in the midst of suffering is an honesty that can be corrected, an honesty that remains trustful. You see, this is how the hope that is within sheds its light to the outside world. When we testify, when we share with our family and friends in these next weeks the struggles that we have with this weird, funky state of affairs. So I want to ask you, how can you continue to express a hopeful vulnerability in this time? Third, and our final point, comes in the last section. It's how does God bring about, produce suffering, or excuse me, how does God produce an unwavering hope? And it's through renewal. We see in verse 17 that, that he says that, or excuse me, 16, we are being renewed. Paul is reminding the, the Corinthians that it is, it is something done to us. The potter himself renews us in, through, and as a result of this suffering. What is renewal theology? You know, we come to, to passages where it says, though the outer self is wasting away, the inner is, is being renewed. And I think what we often go to is, is something we've been trained in for, for a long, long time. And that's as N.T. Wright says, we begin to borrow furniture from Plato's furniture closet, his factory of furniture. We begin to think that the body and the soul are two separate entities. And the future for us, the best future for us, is to be disembodied, is to be a spirit. You see... Paul is not saying that. Instead, he's describing something more, more like uh, the, the distance between D-Day and V-Day. The date of Christ's uh, accomplishment and the date of Christ's consummation. He's not contrasting the, the physical with the spiritual. No. What he's actually doing is something quite grand. You see, we assume that to be bodily, to be physical, is to be impermanent. And that the only way to be permanent immortal, and, and immortal is to become non physical. But we have this beautiful phrase that he throws in there. He says this eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. What he's saying is there is a weightiness to our bodily experience that that represents the work of God working in this material world. It's more real, more firm, more bodily than our present, more substantial. Our family, uh, a friend of our family's died recently. She was not very old. Her children were roughly my age, and she suffered from a vicious form of cancer. And my mom visited her uh, just a couple of days before she died, and and I remember her telling me that you know Teresa is just not she's not the same woman I remember. And and it, you've probably heard someone say that if you've ever been with someone who's really ill, that what you see is just sort of a shadow of a former life. Like this isn't the real you. And what Paul is exclaiming in this renewal process where hope is just churned out in our lives is where we begin to see that the Christian in the present life is a mere shadow of his or her future real life. You see, replacement theology is often like the terrible hymn, I'll fly away. But renewal theology is presented in this beautiful Easter hymn written by Thomas Akempis. Oh, how glorious and resplendent, fragile body shalt thou be, when endued with so much beauty, full of health and strong and free, full of vigor, full of pleasure, that shall last eternally. You see, unwavering hope doesn't happen by resigning. 
doesn't happen by flying away, by, by numbing ourselves to it, or trying to overcome it, get away from it. It's through the process of enduring. We are being renewed. We are being changed from the inside out. Piper says this, At the point, and the point is not that the afflictions merely precede glory. They help produce the glory. There's a real causal connection between how we endure hardship now and how much we will be able to enjoy the glory of God in the ages to come. Not one moment of patient pain is wasted. I want to end with this. Renewal means that we have the opportunity to trustfully mourn the decay that we see. We... um, one of, one of my pet peeves is, is what's often dubbed as a celebration of life service. And I know it's meant well and, and, and you know, everyone is, is celebrating the life that someone has lived. But I think there's a chance to miss um, what, what is available um, to the humans, to the people who follow Jesus. See, the daughter of, of one of my best friends died when she was 10 months old. Blakely was born with a severe um, a developmental disease. So her head was, was shaped a little bit differently, and, and her eyes sort of came out a little more than mine and yours, and she had this uh, really big sort of cleft palate. Her ears were small, and they sort of poked out to the side. The rest of her body looked like, you know, any other newborn's body, and her hair was, was real flowy, but sort of stayed in one place. And you see, Blakely, as she is with Jesus now, he, I'm sure that he, he doesn't look at her and and say, you know what, when, when, when my son comes back, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wipe all this stuff away and, and you're, you're just going to look like you know, any other child. No. She was still made by the, by the wonderful, fearful hands of God. You see, Jesus still has the scars. He wasn't, the holes weren't replaced with, with, with skin that, that just looked like nothing had happened. No, Blakely will be free and beautiful. She'll be recognizably Blakely. You see, renewal not only means that we can mourn uh, properly, trustfully, the decay that's around us. It means that we get to participate with His redemption. And Tim has already outlined several uh, opportunities for us to, uh, to participate in this through, through his top ten last week. And I just want to highlight a couple um, and remind us of them. The first is to pray. I know this seems cliche and simple, but I think the opportunity now is, is greater than it ever has been probably uh, as we face some uncertainty, uh, disconnected from one another, to pray. So set a time. Don't, don't just leave that out into the mist of your day, but set a time, set a reminder that you can be thinking about and asking God to bring about hope in your neighbors, your families, your communities, um, and in your life. So pray. Second is limit social media and the news. Um, as you probably well know, uh, you, there is too much being produced right now for our minds, for our souls, for any part of us to actually digest. And if you're like me, you spend any amount of time with it and you, and you left feeling very anxious. And I just want to encourage you to, to, to carve out time that you will look at it, but spend a lot of time not. Um, you, we're simply not designed to be able to, to take in that amount of, of both anxious and even sometimes positive news. So I'd encourage you to, to limit Um, Yours and your students, if you're able, uh, social media and news consumption, especially right now. And finally, and and maybe perhaps most importantly, 
something that I've gotten from Jamie Smith, who, who got it from, from St. Augustine. Uh, but suffering provides an opportunity for us to do quite significant in our lives. And as he put it, it, it allows us, it invites us to reorder our loves. You know, when we are stuck uh, either at home or in a, in a limited sort of social experience, we have a lot of time to, to think about those things that, that, that we most love, that we most like to do. And if there ever is a time where you have an opportunity to reorder, to reconsider some of your daily, weekly, annual habits, it's now. So I encourage you to sit down with your family, sit down uh, with your small groups over Zoom or some other uh, method, and, and begin to work through what does it look like at, it, if and as we make our way through this season to have our loves our patterns, our habits reordered uh, so that when we move out of this place, we will have a hope uh, for our community. The final step in the pottery process um, is the glazing step. I had the opportunity when I was little um, to, to go to a, a place where potters would, would travel and meet and, and fire all of, all of their clay and, and produce some beautiful, some beautiful items. But the last step is, is to take that, that molded piece of pottery Return it to the fire and glaze it. And this glazing process adds color. It, it seals the product. It does not erase the imperfections of the product. In fact, it, it often draws them out, making it a unique piece of art. Christians, this is the gospel news. That in Christ, He is renewing. He is, he is bending. He is raising. He is renewing us into a beautiful piece of art. I invite you, will you let him to produce the hope that he most longs to produce in your life through his son as he bends, as he lifts, as he beholds. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that um, you are in control and that our lives find their control as they rest in yours. Your stability is what we most long for now and, and we ask that as you pick up our small story of suffering and, and, and put it into your larger, grander, stabilizing story of suffering, that we would have hope produced in us like fruit. Be with us community. Be with Thomasville. Be, be with our nurses. Be with our doctors. Be, be with those at most at risk. We ask that your presence of peace would, would, uh, would reign on, on those that are, are particularly isolated in this time. We pray, Lord, most of all, that, that we would not depend on our ability to come up with hope, to be good at hope. Maybe for the first time we would admit that we don't have hope. That as we do, a hope that lasts, that endures, an unwavering hope will be produced. Father, we ask that you do your work because we trust that as you do, you're with us the whole time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.